Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inna alhamdulillahi na'hmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'afiruhu wa nasta'hdi'u wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'amalina. فمن يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله ثم اما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمه الله it um, delights me quite frankly to um, share this space with uh, all of you and that we would come together weekly to spend some time hopefully thinking about things that will be of practical benefit to us, things that um, will serve us because they are not theoretical for the sake of being theoretical or complex for the sake of being complex, but rather very easy to understand, much more difficult to implement principles for spiritual growth and reflection. And last week, we were um, studying um, one of the sections of this book in which a teacher said to a student, you've spent 15 years in my company. What have you learned from me? And you know, whenever somebody challenges you in that way, it's like, it's time to put up or shut up. If someone says, you've grown up in my house, what have you learned from me? Or someone says, you've been sitting and reading with me for X amount of time, what have you learned from me? And the student, he began to enumerate eight separate lessons that he learned from the teacher. We covered lesson one, last week and we will begin with lesson two this week so for the second lesson he says the second thing i learned inni no we did two last week we're starting with three he says the third thing that i learned the third benefit the third lesson I learned was that I noticed that every person strives to collect the rubble of this world and then holds on to it in a tight-fisted way. You know, he uses an expression, he says, that everybody is exerting herself, exerting himself to collect the rubble, to collect literally the refuse of this world. And he said, I thought about the verse in the Quran, 
Everything that we possess is perishing. Everything that we have is fading. Nothing that we have is permanent. And everything with God is permanent. You know, whenever you are thinking about the differences between the delights of this world and the delights of the next world, yes, there are qualitative differences. But the most important difference is that which is in the next world is lasting. It's permanent. You don't grow used to it. You don't grow accustomed to it. You, you don't grow tired of it, right? You are, you are always pleased by it. You are always gladdened by it. It's always exciting to you. And that is not the case with anything in this world, right? Everything in this world, we have it. Initially, it's exciting. And after a while, it just becomes something that's regular to us. You know, I was thinking about rizq. I was thinking about provision. And I was thinking about the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. If a person wakes up in the morning and she has kult, kult al-yawm, which in Arabic means provision for the day, meaning you are able to eat your fill for one entire day and you have markab salih, you have a means of getting where you need to go. Like you, you can wake up, you can, you can get where you need to go. And you have shelter, you have a meskin, you have shelter. And you are in relationship with people that love you. You're not lonely. And you have melbas, you have clothing. This person has everything the world has to offer. And I thought about that. Now, of course, I'm thinking about the statement and I'm thinking there must be some hyperbole in this statement. No, but if you think about it, what else can the world give you? If you have food, if you have clothing, if you have shelter, if you have a means of getting where you need to go to discharge your responsibilities and you're surrounded by people that love you, right? You have security. There is no one in the world that has more than you. Everybody is enjoying just that. And then I started thinking to myself, but come on, Obeyed. There's got to be some difference. And I said, maybe the difference is a qualitative difference. There is a qualitative difference between a CTA bus and a Rolls Royce. There's a qualitative difference between gourmet food and, uh, you know, food that we could find at any, you know, cheap restaurant. There's a qualitative difference. But then I started thinking to myself, not really. Not, and you guys are like, wait, come on. Not really. Because if the person that's enjoying that gourmet food is accustomed to eating it, I guarantee you they eat it with the same normalcy that any of us would eat at any restaurant we go to. If that person living in that mansion is accustomed to living there, it's not something new to them. 
If that person driving that expensive car is accustomed to driving expensive cars, I guarantee you, they get in the car, start the ignition and drive off just like you get into your car, just like you walk into your house, just like you eat your food. The dunya does not have the ability to satisfy us. It's just not that, right? Now, God still tells us, be thankful for what you have. We should strive not to become those people that get so accustomed to blessing that we don't even give thanks for it anymore. And that's why, speaking of marital advice, one of my teachers, I was asking him for some marital advice. And he said to me, remember the prayers you made when you were single and recognize that those prayers were answered through this person and to get tired of them or to fail to appreciate them is to fail to appreciate God's blessing and that the believer never grows so accustomed to blessing that he or she treats it like something normal right no, you're always striving to show your appreciation for God's blessing. However, that being said, the dunya just doesn't possess the ability to offer lasting satisfaction. And he said, the verse in the Quran says, ma wa That which is in your possession, it's perishing, it's fading, it's fleeting. Everything we, you know, even ourselves, we are fading. You know, my wife, mashallah, is a huge tennis fan. And whenever Serena Williams is playing, I know about it because she's talking about it. And I saw that today Serena Williams lost in the first round at Wimbledon. And I was thinking to myself, well, asr, inna l'insana lafi khusr. By the passage of time, all human beings are in a state of loss. You know, in sports commentary, they say what? Father time is undefeated. Even you are perishing. You, are you won't be the same in four years, five years. Trust me, I know I was at the gym this morning. I'm not the same. <laughs> I'm not the same as I used to be. I used to come in the gym, run nine miles. It was easy. There's nothing to me. I run nine miles after that. Now I run seven miles. I'm like, I'm not going to do this again. I'm probably two or three weeks. It's, it's not. You're fading. So likewise, everything in your possession is also fading. But Allah says what? That which is with God is lasting. It's permanent. He said, he says, so I spent my worldly gain for the sake of Allah, the exalted. And I distributed, I distributed it amongst the needy that it might prove a treasure for me with Allah, the exalted. You know, charity, giving, is almost a sure sign of Iman. Almost, you know, a sadaqah, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, a sadaqah burhan. 
that charity is a proof that if you're looking for a definitive sign that you prefer what is with God to what is present now, your giving is that sign, your willingness to give, your willingness to give. And one of the hadith that I love about the charity of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, was that one day he woke up and he had in his possession 10 dirhams. So when you think dirhams, just think unit of currency, right? So he went to the market and he purchased a shirt with four dirhams. And as soon as he put the shirt on, as soon as he bought the shirt, he put the shirt on. You know, like if you, re if you buy something like a watch or, you know, they say, sir, should we box it or do you want to wear it out of the store? Right? Now, all of us, we deem ourselves, you know, people of taste and just box it for me. And then we put it on in the car. Right? This is a sign of the humble living of the Prophet that he went to buy a shirt, not because he was stocking his wardrobe, but because he actually needed a new shirt. So as soon as he bought it, he put the shirt on. When he walked out of that vendor's station, a person came up to him, complimented the shirt. Right? Oh man, you look amazing in that shirt. And then he said, can I have it? He just asked him straight out, that's a beautiful shirt. Can I have it? And it's mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ, with no hesitation, just took the shirt off and just gave it to the man, right? Now you have to be very careful when you are reading and studying these hadith because you can get inspired, but you might not be at that place. I was, I was reading this hadith in Egypt and I had this tie and I really loved this tie. It was made in Spain, and it was from a brand that you really don't see in the U.S. It was like a knit tie, but it was pink, and it was blue. And a brother complimented my tie, and I just took it off and gave it to him. He said, man, that's a beautiful tie. He didn't even say, can I have it? He just said, man, that's a beautiful tie. It's bismillah. Man, I thought about that tie every day for the next two years. I said, man, I, was, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready, right? The Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam just took the shirt off and gave it to the man. Here you go, right? People said, why would you? People went to the man and said, why did you do that? You know, he never says no. He never says no. You know, Aisha, radiallahu anha, may God be pleased with her. She said that if it, was, if it were not for the no, and there is no God worthy of worship except Allah, the prophet never would have said no. Then when people asked him, he just said, yes, 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 no problem. Yes, yes, yes. He took the shirt off and he just gave it to the man. You know, Allah says in the Quran, Allah says, you will not taste what it means to be righteous until you can give freely of what you love. Until you can give of what you... See, it's not difficult to give of what you don't need. See, if someone asks you for something, like say there is 
someone who needs clothing for an interview and they say, you know, I just finished college. I don't really have money for a good suit, but I have this interview. It's important. Do you think I could borrow or have a suit? If I go to the back of my closet, blow the dust and all of the mothballs off something I haven't worn in years, right? And I say, here, wear this. Maybe I intend to give, but this is not the kind of giving that results in tasting righteousness because I don't really want that suit. I don't really like that suit. In fact, he is in a sense taking out my trash. Here, you, you take this. But when I look at that suit that I enjoy wearing, that suit that when it's a special occasion of mine, this is what I grab and I give him that, where this, this is what Allah is referring to. This will result in you tasting righteousness. The Prophet wasallam, he was wearing the shirt and he just took it off of his back and gave it to the man. So now he has six dirhams remaining. He takes another four and he buys the same shirt again, right? And he just walked out. Now, if that happens to me, I'm buying the second shirt, I'm covering it up. Let me hurry to get out of here, man, before somebody else tries to ask me for this shirt. And as he passes the gate of the market, the sur, he sees a woman crying. She's crying. The Prophet ﷺ turns around. Now, if you think you're busy, if you think you have things to do, if you think that your schedule is chock full of important activities, I guarantee you, your schedule is not filled with activity more important than the activity of the Prophet And yet, just to hear one woman crying, he has to stop what he's doing. He has to go to her and he says, Mother, you keek. What has caused you to cry? Why are you crying? You know, I think about some of the consequences of living in an urban environment. And one of them is that we see people in so many states of human misery that we grow insensitive to it, right? Some of us, we can see somebody bawling their eyes out and just walk right past. It's not my business. Worse yet, some people you see, maybe a man and a woman arguing in the subway, it's becoming physical. People are pulling out their telephones. Young people are pulling out the phone, screaming, world star, world star, world star. Nobody even thinks to say, hey, stop. Don't aggress her like that. Hey, bro, don't do that, man. I would hate to see you go to jail for something like this. Really, slow down, think, be deliberate. He just sees a woman crying. He says, mother, you keep. Hey man, why are you crying? She says, the people that I work for, they sent me to the market with two dirhams. They're gone. The Prophet 
doesn't even ask for an explanation. You know how some people, if you tell them you need help, they first want the whole backstory as to why you need help so they can deem your story worthy of their support or worthy of their rejection. They wanna to listen to the entire story. And if they say, okay, no, you were negligent. I can't help you, that's your fault. Or if they hear the story and it moves some kind of sympathy or it strikes a chord of empathy, maybe they'll help you, right? The Prophet doesn't even ask what happened. Did you lose the money? His last two dirhams, he just reached into his pocket and just gave them to her. Here, take these. And then he didn't even wait for her to thank him. You know, sometimes we do good and we wait for the person to heap all of this praise on us. Some of us are waiting for like them to take a picture and post it on social media. It's like, here, now take the picture. Obey the law Evans. Obey the law Evans. Local philanthropist, you know, uh, you know, uh, aspiring philanthropist of Chicago. How many likes did that get? Allah. We take charity as a photo opportunity. Amen. But you know what? Hey, bro, get the picture as I'm giving him the money. I want you to snap the picture when it's like my hand is on the 20 and his hand is on part of it. Get it like so people can see like the exchange and try to get some of my face like I really care. The Prophet gave the money and just turned and walked away. When he got back to the gate of the market, he could still hear that woman crying. And some of us, especially those of us that work with people, we experience empathy fatigue. When it's like, yo, I'm just tired of caring about other people. Empathy fatigue. Like, I am making a conscious decision to cut my phone off and just enjoy my wife and my children. I don't want to hear another story about a woman that's being battered. I don't want to hear another story about a brother that just lost his job. I don't, I don't want to hear another story about a young sister who has been dating and she thinks her parents know and she wants me to talk to the parents because I just, I'm taking my time now. Ordinarily, I feel those calls, but this is about me. It's about my wife. It's about my children. It's about us enjoying this time. I can't deal with that right now. One of the things that makes the Prophet وسلم, the messenger of Allah, he never experiences empathy fatigue. Never. There is never a time in which people come to him asking for his help that he says, man, look, I'm, I'm just tired, man. One time, and this is in the Quran, people just wanted to enjoy his company. The Prophet married Sophia and people went back to his house for like a walima, like a celebratory meal. And they're there, they're eating, and it's getting late. This is his wedding night. You know how like, if somebody is at your house and that person is overstaying their welcome, 
you start like giving them hints. Maybe you go and cut the lights out in other rooms. <laughs> you know, maybe you try to very conspicuously look fatigued. It's like, Hadia, baby, can you put some tea on? Obey the light, you don't even drink tea. I know, but my brother is a very impassioned storyteller. Bismillah. Right? Maybe you say, give me a moment. You go upstairs, you come back down in your PJs. You change your clothes. Yeah, I just thought I would put my pajamas on because, you know, whenever you finish this, I think I'm going to go upstairs and get some sleep. But I didn't mean to cut you. You were right there at the climax of the story. Go ahead. I'm, talking, I'm sitting there with the cat with the ball on it, the Rip Van Winkle joint. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Prophet is there on his wedding night. They're hanging out, and he is just tolerating. They're overstaying their welcome all the way until the time of Fajr. They stayed until the Adhan of Fajr. That they were just like, look, they were enjoying his company. The next day, Allah sent down revelation, right? After you've taken your meal, leave, get out. Don't overstay your welcome. It annoys the prophet. He's too shy to tell you. This is your prophet. He's too shy to tell you. This is, guys, this is my wedding night. Can I have some time to myself? But God is not too shy to tell you the truth. This is the prophet. So he hears her crying. He goes back to her. You said that you lost two dirhams. And I gave you two dirhams. But I still hear you crying. What's the problem? She said, Now I'm late. Even if I show up with the two dirhams, these people were expecting me um, hours ago. The Prophet said to her, don't worry about it. She said, What's, I'm going to accompany you home. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to walk you home. And the Prophet walked from one side of Medina to the other side of Medina with that woman. And it's mentioned in Hadith. I know some people don't like this. Some people don't like this. But Aisha narrated, the prophet was holding her hand. Right? Some people say because she was young. She was an underage woman. Some people say because the situation dictated that. She needed to be consoled. He was holding her hand. And he walked her all the way across Medina. And he got to where she lived. And when the people who lived there saw the prophet وسلم, approaching, they all crouched by the door waiting in anticipation. And the prophet knocked on the door, assalamu alaikum, they didn't say anything. Then he knocked the second time, assalamu alaikum, they didn't say anything. He knocked the third time, assalamu alaikum, finally they opened the door. And he said, I said salam two times, nobody responded. They said, Rasulullah, when we saw you coming, all of us just crouched by the door and we were just sitting there enjoying, listening to you say salam alaikum. But after the third time, somebody said he might leave. So somebody didn't open the door. The prophet got right to business, He said, this girl, I'm concerned about her. 
I'm worried about her. And for them, this was a complete paradigm shift. They said, Ya Rasulullah, you came here for her? You came here to defend her? Prophet yes. They said, she's free. She was a woman, she was in a state of bondage. She was an enslaved woman. They said, he said, they said, you came here for her sake. She's free. If she means that much to God, and she means that much to the messenger of God, how can we keep her as a slave? She's a free woman. The Prophet ﷺ turned his hands to the sky and he said, Qad fil Truly God blessed those 10 dirhams. And if you review the story with 10 dirhams, he had given somebody the shirt off of his back. He had given someone his last and he had advocated for somebody until it led to their emancipation. And he didn't say, wow, look at me, look at what I did. He said, truly God blessed those 10 dirhams. You see, when we are able to help other people with our money, it's a sign that God is blessing our money. You know, they came to the Prophet Sallallahu excuse me. They said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who are the most beloved people to Allah? Who are the people that Allah loves the most? And the Prophet he didn't say to them, uh, uh, the one that has the longest beard. He didn't say, sarawilan, the one that has the shortest pants. He didn't say, hijaban, the one that has the biggest head covering. He said, those that help and serve the servants of God the most. Those that benefit other people the most. These are the people God loves the most. You know, I find it amazing that he didn't even say أَكْثَرُهُمْ صَلَاةً That's, if, I, if somebody asks me, how do you think the Prophet ﷺ is going to respond to this question? مَنْ أَحَبُّ النَّاسِ إِلَى اللَّهِ Who are the most beloved people to God? My guess would be أَكْثَرُهُمْ صَلَاةً Those that pray the most. That's what I would guess. Those that pray the most. أَكْثَرُهُمْ صَلَاةً those that benefit and serve other people the most. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas, ta'muruna bil ma'rufi wa tanhauna ala al-munkar wa tu'minuna billah. Our community is supposed to be the best community from among all of the people. But it's not best because we arrogate ourselves. The tafsir, khair, right? Kuntum khayra ummatan ukhrijat linnas limanfa'atin nas for the benefit of other people. That if we intend to retain our status as the best community, it is only through serving other people. You see, this is what we're best at. 
We're best at serving people and not exploiting people. We're best at caring for people and not subjugating people. We're best at uplifting people and not degrading people. This is what makes us the best. So here, the Imam said, I noticed that everybody works hard to accumulate their money. And then they hold on to their money. He says, like with an iron fist, they hold on to their money, right? You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah says, rivalry in boasting about money distracts people until they reach the grave, right? Until they reach the grave. But it's, it's, is a very interesting word in Arabic because it's not just you want to have a, like a lot yourself. No, no. But anything on the pattern of tafa'ala in the Arabic language is it's something done mutually, right? It's something done mutually. It's not that I just want a lot of money. No, I want more than her, right? Keeping up with the Joneses. No, I want more than him. He just got a new car. I want a new car. They just got new furniture. I want new furniture. They, vaca they vacation in Cabo. I want to I vacation in San Tropez. They go to Europe. I'm going to Australia. Their house is 4,500 square feet. I'm going to buy a house that's 5,000 square feet. See, that's Takathor. More and more, more and more. And Allah Ta'ala says what? This distracts people. Until they die. And they see this entire process of keeping up with these people and getting more. And it was all a waste of time. It was all a waste of time. None of it meant anything. And we come to know that when we die. Because that which is with Allah will remain. So everything you give for the sake of Allah, that's an investment that you make that will be there for you when you meet Allah. You will see it when you meet Allah. Anything you give for the sake of Allah, it's, it's, it, it's something that has preceded you. It's waiting for you. You will receive your reward for it. You know, once Aisha, anha, she was given a whole lamb. Right? She was given a whole lamb and it was already slaughtered. And as soon as she was given this, this, this massive amount of meat, everybody just started knocking on her door, asking for meat. And she just started giving it away, 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 giving it away. The only part she kept was the, was the shoulder, the ketf, because she knew that the Prophet وسلم, that was the cut of meat that he loved the most was the shoulder. So she kept the shoulder. And she said, when he got home, she said, Ya Rasulullah, we had a lot of meat, but we gave it all away. And the only thing we kept was the shoulder. And he said, no, my dear, the only thing we gave away was the shoulder. We kept everything that we gave for the sake of Allah. 
You see, he, he flipped the paradigm. The only thing that we gave away was the shoulder. What we took for ourselves, that's what we gave away. Right? That's what we gave away. Oh, mashallah. Bismillah. Even so. He said, no. The only thing we gave away was the shoulder. What we kept was everything that we gave away. This is how the believer thinks about giving, right? The only thing that I've lost is what I had to use for myself. But what I've given to other people, I'll see that. I'll see that again. I'll see that again, right? So here he mentioned, he said, I gave what I earned for the sake of God, for the, for the sake of God. And it's very, you know, for sadaqa to be, for charity to be rewarding, you have to give it for God's sake and for no other reason. You're not giving it for some ulterior motive. You're not giving it so that people will say, what a, what a generous person. You're not giving it so that you'll have something over that person. You're not giving it so that one day you can talk about what you gave. You know, a verse in the Quran that every time I read it, I'm just like, wow. Allah says, That to give a good word is better than giving charity that's followed by words of injury. Now think about that. Just to give a good word is better than giving somebody money and then following that money with injury, with insult. So it's better to say to somebody, if someone says, hey man, you got something you can help me out with? I'm sorry, brother, I don't have anything. You know, I pray to God, make it easy. That's better. They say, here, take this. Don't ask me again. I'm tired of taking care of you. It would be better for you just to say, I'm sorry, brother, I don't have it today, but uh, I pray that everything works out. That's better, right? Because when you give to someone, you say, here, take this and let this be the last time. In fact, erase my contact. Don't ever ask me for anything in life. I'm gonna give you this little money, man. I'm gonna give you this little money. And I swear, I hope this is the last. Why do that? Why do that? Or you can be like my friends. They're going to give you, but only after they tell you how, bad it, how badly it hurts. I swear, man, it's so hard right now. Man. Oh, this is really hard on me, man. Yeah. <laughs> In that case, I don't need it. Right? But to give with what's called you give with a smile. MashaAllah, here. Have it. MashaAllah. You know, the Prophet وسلم, he said in a hadith, he said, He said, the upper hand is better than the lower hand. Right? He's giving a, a, you know, an analogy. The hand that's giving is better than the hand that's taking. You know, some of the companions of the prophet, may God be pleased with them, they used to give people charity and they would place their hand on the bottom and let the person taking the money take it from the top. 
So as to say, even though I'm giving you, I don't want you to think that I think I'm better than you. I'm giving you, but I'm placing the money on the bottom. I'm letting you take it from the top. I still think you're better than me. And, it, and it's not only if the tables were turned, the tables might very well be turned. And I might need you to look out for me one day. So it, I'll take it, just relax. Right? And then don't remind about it. Don't offer people injurious comments about it. Just give it. And he also said here, فَفَرَّقْتُهُ بَيْنَ الْمَسَاكِينَ So I gave my money, بَيْنَ الْمَسَاكِينَ All different, فَرَّقْتُهُ بَيْنَ الْمَسَاكِينَ All different kinds of causes. It wasn't just like one issue that I gave to, or just one person that I gave to. I spread my resources among people that were in need. Right? He finishes by saying, لِيَكُونَ ذُخْرًا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى I did that so that that money would be, how do they translate it? A treasure for me that is waiting for me with God. I gave in hope that what I gave will be a treasure for me when I meet Allah. So this is, Mashallah, you know, I realize that unfortunately the only time we hear any hadith or ayat of the Quran about giving is where? Fundraisers. Right? And I, I think that, I mean, that's good, but sometimes it, it cheapens the message because it's like you're reminding me of all of this, which is good. But right after the reminder, you're going to say what? Now, who wants to give 25? Who wants to give who? You know, right? This is a setting in which we can remind each other of the blessedness of charity, and nobody's going to ask you for anything. This is not a fundraiser. Unless, of course, Amir, you know, I'm just <laughs> Amir can stand up and say, no, actually, it is, obey the law. We're about to... Uh, do a fundraiser for Ted Lee. This is not a fundraiser. This is a part of our religion. This is a part of our faith, giving. And the zakat that we give, that, that nominal 2.5%, it is just the minimum that we give, right? The goal should be to give as much as you can, to extend your hand as much as you can, now, no one is saying that we don't have a responsibility to take care of ourselves, take care of our families, take care of our children, take care of our parents. Of course we do, right? But giving to the extent possible is something that will bring great blessing into your wealth. You know, the Prophet he said, Al-Mal la yankus mina sadaqah. He said, wealth never decreases from charity. Never. Never. That wealth never decreases from charity. That you won't find anybody who tells you, you know, I used to have a lot of money, but then I started giving charity, now I'm poor. You won't find that. You won't find that. There was a man named Abdurrahman ibn Auf. 
This is one of those stories from the Sirah that I love. I love this story. Abdurrahman ibn Auf was very wealthy. He was a businessman. He was a merchant. And some impoverished companions of the Prophet overheard the Prophet saying that the poor will inherit paradise before the wealthy on account of what they had to deal with in the life of this world. That the poor will inherit paradise before the wealthy. They will enter paradise before the wealthy. So one of them went to Abdurrahman and he said, yeah, Abdurrahman, in the end, we're going to outstrip you, right? In the end, we're going to get it better than you. And Abdurrahman ibn Auf became angry. And he said, what do you want me to do? He said, I give away 100 camels and Allah gives me a thousand. I give away a thousand camels, Allah gives me 10,000. I'm trying to be poor, Allah won't let it happen. Every time I give, Allah replenishes what I gave. What do you want from me? I try, <laughs> I try. It would be like somebody saying, I give away 10,000, my Lord gives me 50,000. I give away 50, my Lord gives me 200. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Right? So, wealth never decreases from charity. Um, one of the wealthiest people that I know, I just straight up asked him, I said, I really respect what you've been able to accomplish and what you've been able to do for your family. If I want to do something similar for my family, what should I do? And I thought he was gonna give me like stock tips. Well, you really wanna, you know, stay away from, you know, uh, Dogecoin, but you know, maybe uh, that's what I'm thinking, what, what, what is it? He just looked at me and said, giving. One word message. I, I wanna achieve something like that for my family. What should I do? Giving. This is what does it. So Muslims give, give. Give, give, give. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.